0: Hey, it's great to be with you and worship with you today. My name is Jacob Armstrong. I'm a pastor here at Providence Church. And as we've sung about Jesus, worshiped him already, uh, I don't know if you know it, but Jesus also asks some very good (laughs) questions of us. And the scripture reading that I have for you today, uh, I want you to hear some questions that Jesus, I think, is asking of us. So it's from Matthew chapter seven. Jesus says, which of you... If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So, in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, would give him a stone? So, like, which of you would do that? Who would do that, right? Which of you, if your child was asking for fish for dinner, would say, hey, here's a copperhead, and give him a snake? So, Jesus is asking us, who would do that? Like, would you do that? And, of course, Jesus is asking this question in a rhetorical way. In other words, he's not really asking for an answer. He's trying to make a point. The question assumes that nobody would do that, that no one would give a a snake to their kid when they were asking for a fish dinner. So Jesus says, so if you then, talking to us, he says, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? The point Jesus is making, of course, is if our kids ask us for something good and we would never think to give them something that would hurt them, then why do we walk around thinking that God might do that to us? Well, of course, (laughs) there's a lot of reasons we would think that. Because somebody else hurt us in life, or we have encountered unspeakable tragedy. And that can come at any age. Or maybe right now you're wrestling through, I don't really understand what's going on in my life. I don't really understand what God is up to. That's why Jesus is being so adamant with us to speak to us about the heart of our God who is showing love to us and wanting to give us good things. And so that uh, is actually where we find our identity as those who follow Christ, We've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And our identity is actually found in these questions Jesus is asking. He's saying, if you believe that God is wanting to give you good things, if you've experienced God's love being poured out upon us, then that is where you'll find your ultimate identity in knowing that you are a loved Child of God. And that's what leads us to our allegiances. You say, okay, if that's who God is, then I will serve that God. I actually trust the God who wants to give me good things. He's not handing out snakes. And so I give him my heart. I give him my trust. I, I commit my life to him. I commit my loyalty to him. Our identity is knowing who we are. Identity, is simply just knowing who you are, a loved child of God. And our allegiance is knowing who who we serve, allegiance is knowing who you serve. So Jesus says, if you guys know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more your Father in heaven will give good gifts to you? And then he says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. When I hear this, I pause, and I think, wait, I thought we were talking about me and God here, right? I thought we were talking about God loves me, he wants good things for me, he won't give me a snake, and now all of a sudden, when did we switch from talking about how much God is going to pour out his love on me to suddenly now talking about how I'm going to treat other people? Well, we switched very quickly. In fact, Jesus uh, almost imperceptibly will change from talking about how much God loves us to how much we are supposed to love other people. The so here at the beginning of this scripture is saying, so because God loves you, so because of how God is acting towards you, then you are called to act in the same way towards God. So back to our disciple slide where we can see those words. My identity is in God. That's who I am. My allegiance is to God. That's who I serve. But now, because of all that, so I am motivated to live for him, and I'm willing to sacrifice for him. Motivation is knowing the reason behind your actions. Motivation is not you know, just blindly doing this and blindly doing that, it's saying, now I actually know why I'm acting, I know why I'm gonna do that, that's my motivation. And then sacrifice is simply knowing that you're gonna be willing to give up everything. These are the marks of a disciple And in what becomes known as the golden rule, Jesus spells out motivation and sacrifice for us. Let me let you hear it again. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. In the so, like we said, is the reason because God has poured out his love on me. He won't give me a snake when I desire fish. So I'm going to do to others what has been done to me. And then we have to ask, so if I'm going to treat others the way God has treated me, how much has God given up for me? Well, God has given up everything. Therefore, I must be willing to sacrifice everything, not just for God, but for others. This uh, golden rule, uh, you've probably heard it before, maybe growing up or something like that. Uh, It can become kind of a cliche. It's actually the rule that will change the world. It's actually the rule that if the disciples of Jesus follow it, will, will change everything. But it's not the only rule that's at play in the world. It's not the only rule that goes all the way back. And so I want to go over a couple other rules that you're going to see in your life and uh, see if you recognize them and uh, see if you don't see them being played out in your life, maybe. So the first rule that we can see going all the way back is what is called the iron rule. So the iron rule is the rule of power and might. The, the iron rule says might makes right. The iron rule says I can do whatever I'm big enough to do. So the iron rule is the rule of the playground, or it's the rule that was on bus 129 when I grew up, my, my school bus. The iron rule says, yeah, you just do what you are big enough to do. You know this rule. It's the one with the most power, the most money, the biggest muscles, they win the day. Alexander the Great was great. In 12 years, he conquered the known world. He did not do it in diplomatic meetings. He took what he could take. Julius Caesar said, I came, I saw, I conquered. That's the iron rule, and the iron rule is really old, but it's not just for world leaders. It's actually used in families. It's everywhere. In the first family, uh, Cain killed Abel. We talked about that last week. Well, why did Cain kill Abel? Well, he did it because he could. He was bigger and he was stronger. And so we see this iron rule being played out you know, on the interstate or in the grocery store when the one who has uh, the bigger truck or the most power you know, gets to win the day. Wayne Jackson, who's a Christian author, he said that each lock on every door and window throughout the world is a testimony to the iron rule. Every corrupt political official who manipulates his or her power for personal advantage lives by this system, bully husbands and fathers who abuse their families, are iron rule devotees. Many live by this rule, but it is not the rule that the disciples of Jesus live by. There's another rule out there, though, I wanna tell you about. The second rule that we see in the world is the silver rule Now, the silver rule gets its name in comparison to the golden rule. So you can see the silver rule is not a bad rule. It's actually a good rule, but it's not gold. The silver rule goes way far back in history as well, and it says this, what you do not wish done to you, do not do to others. So it's sort of a negative rule. What you don't want to happen to you, don't do to others. So it's not a bad rule. You're like, I don't want you to come on my property, so I'm not going to go on your property. This rule keeps us from stealing from our neighbor or harming our countrymen because we don't want that to happen to us. But it's negative in nature, meaning uh, it's sort of a a rule of inaction. It keeps us from action, and therefore it keeps us from connecting with other people. So the silver rule can lead you to saying things like this, not my problem, I'll mind my own business, uh, or even I'll just take care of myself. So non-action can be a good thing, but it's not enough. It's, uh, it's, you know, silver's good, but it's not gold. So Jesus has this one rule for us. He says it sums up all of the law and all the prophets. Imagine Jesus is saying, if you could kind of get this, you'll get all the other stuff, uh, you'll get all the other stuff down. This great rule, though, Jesus is clearly saying, comes through understanding our identity, understanding who we are, how God has treated us, and then our allegiance, uh, you know, who we're going to serve, You know, this rule is not if you're going to serve another God or if you're like, I'm going to serve myself with my life, this rule isn't for you. The golden rule, this great rule, says do to others what you would have them do to you. Now, if this is starting to sound like a bit much, like all these different rules and, and humans by nature are like, I'm not good at rules, uh, I, I end up breaking rules. If, if that's sort of how you're feeling right now, I think Jesus knew that when he would try to sum everything up. There are several times in the scriptures where he'd try to sum things up, and instead of giving a bullet-pointed list of rules <laughs> like I just did, uh, Jesus would tell a story. So I'd like to tell you one of those Jesus stories that he used when he was trying to sum up how this, how much God loves us and we love God leads us to love our neighbors. But to really understand this story, you are going to have to imagine a nation that has two groups of people who are so opposed that they have grown to hate each other. Most of these people worship the same God, they have the same heritage, the same history, but because they are not in agreement, uh, they have come to a place where they no longer talk to each other and certainly don't talk to each other nicely. Two different parties that can no longer show kindness or respect to another person because their belief system is different. The two groups were called the Democrats and the Republicans. No, I'm just kidding. The, The two groups were called the Jews and the Samaritans. So here's the story that Jesus told. He says... A Jewish man was going down from Jerusalem to the city of Jericho. And while this Jewish man was walking down the road, a group of robbers came. They tore his clothes off of him, beat him to a pulp, took all of his stuff, and threw him in a ditch. They left him in the ditch to die. As a man was laying in the ditch, another Jewish man, in fact, a a Jewish religious official, starts walking down the same road, so notice the, the uh, descriptors here. A Jewish uh, religious person sees the Jewish man in the ditch, and he decides to pass by on the other side. The next person who comes down the road is from the family of Levi. The, Le- the, the Levite family was a prominent religious family in the Jewish tradition. So another Jewish man walking down the road sees the man in the ditch, and he too decides to pass on the other side. And then as Jesus tells the story, he says the next person to come down the road was a Samaritan man. Notice the descriptor. And the Samaritan man, when he sees the man in the ditch, doesn't keep walking. He shows to the man in the ditch what Jesus describes as loving kindness. A word we might use is mercy. So the Samaritan stops. He goes and begins to take care of the man's wounds, pours oil and wine on the wounds. He takes clean cloths from his bag and begins to bandage the wounds of the man. The Samaritan man touches the Jewish man and picks him up and places him on his donkey. He takes him to the nearest inn and he takes care of him throughout the night. The next morning, he leaves his hard-earned money with the innkeeper and says, use this to take care of the man. And in fact, he says, I will come back and make sure that this man from the despised Jewish group is taken care of. I don't know if in the story, if you heard the iron rule, the robbers, they came and they were stronger and swifter and they hurt and they gained personally. I don't know if you heard the silver rule. It's harder to see. It was found in the religious Jewish leaders who, when they saw the man in the ditch, um, it's harder to point out what what they did because they didn't do anything. They just didn't do anything. They looked at the man and thought something maybe like, I'm too busy, or this tragedy is not my fault, or it's none of my business. They didn't kick the man while he was down. They didn't rifle through his pockets. They just didn't do anything. They kept walking. The silver rule, it's not enough. And then the golden rule, of course, happens when the Samaritan man sees the man in the ditch, and he treats him the way that he wanted to be treated i know the golden rule can become cliche but i think it's a world-changing rule because it actually puts jesus words into action uh, it, not it, this is not just knowing i'm a christian or pledging allegiance to jesus but this is saying i am motivated because of my identity and allegiance to sacrifice not just for god but for other people I want to offer a few warnings and then something I've been excited about, which is to give an opportunity for each of you to commit as a disciple of Jesus. So I'll show you those words again. In thinking about identity, I'd like to offer this warning. You know, right now, we are in a heated election season. Actually, it's almost over. Just a couple of more days before we will get what will surely be a monumental election. This could precisely be the time, if we're not careful, I think that we'll get a bit off. With so much atti- attention being given to you know, a national debate and a national decision, here's what I see. Primary identity for many people I see is now in a political party, a way of thinking, or a candidate. Now don't mishear me, this is a big deal and we should be giving it a lot of attention. But disciples find their identity not in someone who will be elected for four years and then move on, but in someone who sits on a throne forever. Big difference. Disciples find their identity in Jesus. So we can be passionate, <laughs> engage in the debate, as well we should, but I think an important question for us is to ask myself, is my core identity right now being found in Jesus? For a disciple, there's no option where your core identity is and your core allegiance. That, that allegiance, as we said, is who we serve, and Jesus is really clear about who we're supposed to serve and how we're supposed to serve them. So a warning. What I see people doing, and I'm tempted to do the same, is to get super informed. Have you seen this? You know, there's a lot of fear out there. We're afraid, we're afraid of being misled, afraid of misinformation. I hear so much about misinformation and being misled, so what do we wanna do? We wanna be informed with the right information. I'm offering a warning because I'm convinced after watching people for a number of years, that what we put in our minds affects our hearts. So when we're super informed, uh, we feel powerful. Information is power. And super informed people become super opinionated people and often become super vocal people. Again, not a problem. (laughs) Be informed, share your opinions, use your voice. I'm just saying, warning, don't forget the golden rule. Being well-informed is not an excuse to use the iron rule. We can't use the iron rule just because we think we know better than everybody else. On the other hand, we also can't use the silver rule. I see some of us doing this, like, I think I got it all figured out, but I am not getting in the fray. I am not messing with them. If they don't mess with me, I won't mess with them. The golden rule says, because my allegiance is to God primarily— I am going to treat others the way I want to be treated because that's the way God has treated me. And so I just would ask us, you know, are we pouring ourselves into the word of God as much as whatever news source that we trust is reliable? We will be shaped by what we take in. So if I'm not reading the teachings of Jesus, if I'm not praying the Psalms, If I'm not going to the letters of Paul and studying the response of the early church in a time and a culture that does not look like Jesus, and instead I'm pounding my brain with news story after news story, my allegiance will get off, guaranteed. What happens is we bend just a little bit towards an ideology that does not look like Christ. So our motivation and our sacrifice is affected, and if you're wondering how to walk as a disciple through this time, Of course, I would encourage you to vote, and most of us have voted, and most of us have only one vote to cast. There's a lot of talk about that, but you just kind of, voting is important, but you you get to cast one vote. But then as followers of Jesus, we would say, what does Jesus say sums up all the law and the prophets? Well, it's not the strongest one wins. It's not do your own thing and you'll be fine. It's pick up the one you don't like from the ditch, the one you hate, nurse their wounds, and sacrifice for them. Look, I don't know what's going to happen on Tuesday, but I do know what we're called to do on Wednesday. Pick up the one from the ditch, nurse their wounds, and sacrifice for them. If, if on Wednesday you end up being on the winning side of this, if that's how we want to say it, and you're a disciple, I sure hope you will remember the golden rule. And if on Wednesday, if you end up on the losing side of this, if that's how we want to talk about it, and you're a disciple, I sure hope you will remember the golden rule that's what Jesus says sums up all of the teachings. Here's the deal. This disciple thing will not look like the world. I think we've been sort of like confused on that. There is no promise that whatever government we live in or live under will look like Jesus. In fact, the history of Christianity says something much different. What there is evidence for is that people who follow Jesus can be so aligned with Jesus that no matter what happens, they conduct themselves in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what happens then is the news of Jesus keeps getting spread, and the love of Jesus keeps transforming lives. And you know what? Sometimes nations thrive and sometimes nations crumble, but the church of Jesus stands strong because we have the one true king. You know? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. There's nothing else. Jesus, the king of kings. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer yourselves as a sacrifice. Paul says that's our worship. Our worship is being so motivated by God's mercy to offer our lives as a sacrifice. And then he goes on to say in verse two of chapter 12, he says, so don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, he says, you will be able to test and approve what the will of God is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God is, is, is opening up <laughs> us, up to his will, but it's found by having our ultimate identity in Christ, our ultimate allegiance to Christ, being motivated by our relationship with Jesus, and yes, being willing to sacrifice everything. So the moment I've been excited about is offering an invitation to you to say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, This may be a first time that you're saying, yeah, I really want my life to be formed by and identified by being a disciple. the other part of this is you may say, I've been walking in this a long time, but I think I need kind of a moment to mark it, especially, you know, in 2020. So you'll see on the screen some lines that I'm gonna ask you to say with me, but I'm gonna read them to you first and uh, then invite you to, to pray, the, pray these words with me. So the first thing is this. The Father has lavished his love on me through Jesus Christ. I am a child of God. That is who I am. Jesus, my identity is in you. So if you wanna say that and and place your identity in Jesus, say it with me. The Father has lavished his love on me through Jesus Christ. I am a child of God. That is who I am. Jesus, my identity is in you. Next one, it says this. No one can serve two masters. I say no to gods and yes to God. A house divided cannot stand. Jesus, my allegiance is to you. So say that with me. No one can serve two masters. I say no to God's and yes to God. A house divided cannot stand. Jesus, my allegiance is to you. The next part says, I'm tempted to live my life for myself. Instead, I choose today to live for you. Jesus, my motivation is found in you. Let's say it together. I am tempted to live my life for myself. Instead, I choose today to live for you. Jesus, my motivation is found in you. And this last part about sacrifice and everything, I want to do to others as I would have them do to me. Jesus, I will sacrifice everything for you. Let's pray that together. In everything, I want to do to others as I would have them do to me. Jesus, I will sacrifice everything for you. Let's pray. God, as we seek to be your disciples, we ask for your help, but we thank you that your grace has been offered to us and your love is being poured out on our heads. We thank you that you're a good father who wants to who wants to place in our hands good things. Remind us of that, show us that in this moment. We pray now, God, for all that's going on in the world specifically in our nation and specifically for the presidential election this week. We know, God, that you're in charge. We trust you. We pray that you will work in this time for the healing of our nation, for the unity of our nation, and for the preservation of your people. But we place that in your hands as we do what we can do as citizens of this nation, but most importantly, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Let the golden rule rest in our minds and be seated in our hearts as we walk through this time. Let us be the ones who are so aligned with Jesus that the good news of Jesus still gets out there and the love of Jesus still moves and transforms lives. And and we pray today, God, that whatever happens, we will conduct ourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray now, joining our voices, the Lord's prayer, a way of us unifying even in this moment. Our Father,